Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Start Ed Up podcast. Today, we have on Philippe Bossou. He is a entrepreneur, a CEO, a venture capitalist. Uh, he has spent 30 years in Silicon Valley growing and managing businesses. He co-founded his Managing Blue Dot Partners, LLC. He's also written this book that is super, super practical and chocked full with a lot of great information called Aligning the Dots. Uh, I've gotten to know him and checked out his work, and I was pretty honored to have him on, especially after I started looking into his work and some of the things he's accomplished, uh, which includes uh, everything from, like I said before, starting a, a majorly awesome business to having some exits that are uh, quite astonishing. Most of all, though, what I appreciated was uh, his humility and his time that he had spent explaining some interesting concepts to me. And then even off air, he's been um, 100% authentic and a really great person. So for those reasons, I think you're going to enjoy the episode. Again, uh, the book is super practical, but I, I think that once you listen to this interview, you're going to see and going to hear uh, the person that is really intent on bringing a lot of value to people and wanting him to see people successful at the level that he was. So I will not gab any further. I want you to enjoy this one. So let's get in right to it. Philippe Bossou. Uh, Philippe, thank you for joining us on the show. Um, glad that we've got connected or yeah, we've, we've aligned, we've aligned some dots. Right. Uh, your background is pretty darn impressive and taking a look at things. Um, tell us a little bit about your background before we get into aligning the dots. Yes. Thank you again for having me on the show. It's a pleasure. Um, you know, people ask me where I'm from and I am always struggling to answer that question. And the reason is I was actually born in Germany because my dad was in the French military and as a military brat, we used to move all the time. Um, but I spent a fair amount of time studying in Paris. Um, I have been here in Silicon Valley for 30 years and uh, I actually studied a unique software company that got acquired by our largest customer. Um, and then I joined Hachette, one of the largest publishing companies in the world to help them with electronic publishing. So moving from atoms to bits, you know, paper uh, to software. And um, I, we did a bunch of uh, deals and business development deals. And one of them was with Apple. And the guy at Apple asked me to join his team, which I did. Um, and then at Apple, I studied um, this crazy idea that we should sell direct over the internet, which um, at the time was we were not selling directly. If you want to buy a Mac, you would buy it through a distributor. And um, it was very hard to convince the management team because it was a major change, but we bought Next and Steve very quickly, Steve Jobs very quickly understood the idea and, and was behind it. And I managed the online store from zero to about $350 million. And if you ever wonder why I lost my hair, then now you <laughs> That's and the reason why, huh? Yes. Oh. After Apple, I actually, I, when I was at Apple, I was on the board of the Annenberg Cinematographic School at USC. And... One of the board members was a venture capitalist and he asked me, he said, well, what are you going to do now? And I said, well, I'm just going to start another company. I'm an entrepreneur. And he says, well, why don't you come and work for us? And I looked at him and I said, well, the idea of just writing a check is not that interesting to me. I actually want to build stuff. And he told me, well, we're doing a little bit more than that. So I, I joined this firm uh, and stayed about five years, made some investments, good investments and bad investments. Um, and then I um, took a break and actually spent a year in France working for Ventec, which is another VC firm, early stage VC firm, and then came back and co-managed the Milestone Group, uh, which was a management consulting firm helping 
um, large companies were there optimizing their channels. So we had 220 customers like Microsoft, Cisco, Intel, SAP, very large companies. Um, and then about five years ago, I studied Blue Dots, which is a management consulting firm focused on helping company grow faster. Wow. Let, let me let me just gently um, and tell you how impressed I am with your humility. Thank so you. your bio versus, and I'm just, this is really unprofessional of me, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, your bio is a huge, whoa, no way. And you gently, was like, oh yeah, I worked with Steve. Okay, Steve Jobs. Behind the scenes, and I, I can't believe that I'm admitting this, but before I pressed record with Philippe, I had probably our top investor call and I had to stop what I was doing. Now, at least we hadn't started recording yet. And I felt terrible that I had put you on hold and I put you on hold for 10 minutes and you were like, no, sure, no problem. Like that was seriously, I had this pit in my stomach that this is some of the, this is the rudest thing that I could do, but I had to take the call and you were completely understanding. But I also think it, it says a lot about you and some of your work. So I just wanted to hold it up that not only are you like humble, like I'm reading your bio and like your humility is just, it's cracking me up because this is, this is a time where you could brag, but you're not. But it also kind of goes at really some of your work and, and some of the things here in, in your book, it, it all kind of made sense. Um, so I really want to dig in on, on the culture that, you know, you're talking about. And also when you said, you know, I've made some good investments and made some bad and I want to get into like, what did, what are some of the trends you saw there? Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, before I go on too long, you, you wrote a book here. Um, you, you've got aligning the dots. Um, basically, and like, there are a lot of books, right? Published every year, right? Um, what is other than you can flex on your, Hey, I've got a heck of a bio and a background. What's, 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 what's cool about aligning the dots? Well, there are, I think there are about 11,000 business, business books published every year. Um, and, and I think it's a really good question is why, I mean, why do we need another book? Um, there's, there are very few books, in my opinion, that are truly disruptive, transformative, uh, and important. I mean, Crossing the Chasm, you know, written in 1991 by Jeffrey Moore would be a good example of, of a book that has a lasting impact and that really made a very big difference in for many entrepreneurs and many CEOs and business leaders. Um, I decided to write the book because I wanted to share a very unique story that has never been told before. And that story is to address a challenge that every entrepreneur, every CEO, every business leader has, which is what do, do I do on Monday morning at eight o'clock to grow my business faster and to beat my competitors? And it's a very deceptively simple question, like saying, what do I do on Monday morning at eight o'clock to be a good dad or a good mother, a good parent? And of course, there are thousands of books that tells you what to do, but really nobody knows. And I think that there is actually a way to address that question, which is data driven and not based on emotions. I've been on 20 boards and I've seen the following movie so many times. You go into the board meeting, the CEO comes and says, well, I'm going to miss my quarter. I'm not going to do my numbers. And we say, why? And he brings the VP of sales who says, well, I, I didn't sell as much as I was hoping because the leads are, are not good. And then the marketing guy comes and he says, well, 
you know, we cannot have the red list because the product doesn't have this particular feature. And then the product guys comes and say, well, I'm sorry, I built a product that I thought was the coolest on the planet and, and uh, nobody really told me what to do. And I realized that most of the decisions made by the board or the management team to grow faster were really based on emotions rather than data. And so as a scientist, I'm a physicist by training, I wanted to measure stuff. And the big insight I had about five years ago was that the maximum growth rate of a business compared to the market that is targeting, that maximum growth rate can only be achieved when the company and the market is perfectly aligned. And, and it's that perfect alignment that maximizes the growth rate. And if your misalign is like a mechanical watch, if the gears are not quite aligned and you start to slow down and eventually you will stop ticking, but it's the same with the company, will slow down and eventually die. And so we, I was able to figure out a way to measure that alignment and, and to really define it. And, and by measuring, then you start to understand what's happening, you have insights, and then you can develop an action plan, what I call the growth playbook, you know, based on those insights. And with that playbook now, the CEO knows what to do on Monday morning to grow his or her business faster. And that's at a very high level, the essence of the book. So I like the fact that, well, I've known some people that, you know, quote unquote, lead from the heart. And I see what you're talking about on how sometimes that can lead to some bad things and, and just being data driven um, is, is really important. How, like, what is the process of starting to like set those processes in place? And, and, you know, how does that CEO that leads from shoots from the hip and leads from the heart, how do you convert somebody like that to be more data driven? Uh, That's a good question. I think at the beginning of the very early stage of a, of a company, you cannot be data driven because you don't have enough customers. You don't have enough data and you're still kind of trying to find your way. I describe that as, you know, as kind of the adolescence phase where the person doesn't quite know yet what he or she is going to do later. And that's perfectly okay. And you have to go through that phase. So that phase where luck matters, timing, you know, finding the right people, raising the right capital from the right investors, constituting a good board is really important. And my methodology is critical to address you know how well am i aligning my business the business that i want to build with the market and i can define what that means then once you start to have customers and revenues then you can start to really measure based on tools that we've developed and based this this measurement really helps you to understand so at the very early stage intuition luck um, is is really the important drivers of building the business once you start to have a platform and customers then you need to be a lot more rational, a lot more data-driven to really be able to take that business to the whole next to a whole new level. Mm, so I, I remember I had a conversation with somebody that was kind of near and dear to my heart, and she was saying that in a lot of cases, giving a lot of advice uh, to a startup that's less than a year and a half old is, in some ways, you just have to work yourself through it. She says the real work begins when you know, you're into that second year and you're starting like, like kind of what you're saying, you're starting to look for those data points. And you're starting to look and, and reflect back on those. Um, but, but again, like the culture of people that are more uh, emotional, 
Uh, how do you, I mean, obviously you got to show them spreadsheets and you know, give them success stories, but how do you convert them into setting up processes of looking at and setting more data you know, points and, and looking back and setting better metrics? Yeah, I think. And, and obviously, and, and I should clarify this because like, like in the business you're in, like in the tech scene, I can see that, you know, you've got to be like this, but I'm also thinking about the, like the social impact entrepreneur, right? That it, because they're not doing a tech driven tool, they may be more, and I'm, I'm, not I'm not saying this in a derogatory, derogatory way, but like a little more touchy feely on the people that are trying to serve, but they still could, without a doubt, do some more data collection and and analyzing. Yeah, I think that if you have a business, first of all, when an, a CEO or entrepreneur sells the very first share of the company to an investor, then his job is, by that transaction, that the job of that person is profoundly different. And the job now is to create value for, for that investor. And there's many, many businesses that don't raise any money. They are driven by other causes than, build, than, bringing, than, than developing shareholder value. And there is nothing wrong with that, but they're not driven by the law of creating that value. Now, if you need to create value for your shareholder, the only way to do that, in my opinion, and based on my experience, is to grow the business faster than the market in which the business operates. You have to beat the market. You have to gain market share. And in fact, I was talking to Brock and Darrell the other day who's the CEO of Logitech. And he said, he says, it's very simple. There's only growth or death. And I believe that top line growth mm. is to value creation what oxygen is to life. You cannot get away. You cannot build sustainable shareholder value if you're not growing faster than the market in which you are. Now, again, there's many, many businesses like a restaurant, for example, or a dentist, they don't have that issue because they haven't sold a share of their business. Their, their business is to create a predictable cash flow. But if you have a board and have investors, your business as the CEO, as an entrepreneur, is to create value for the business. Otherwise, nobody would have invested in your company if they had known that no value would be created. So that's why I've been focusing on this fundamental problem of how do you grow a business? And... I think that any CEO, any business leader, any entrepreneur has to be thinking about that from the very early stages of the company, even though he or she may not have, you know, dozens of customers or millions of dollars of revenue. That thinking on how am I going to do that, I think is very critical. It has to be part of the DNA of the team. Yeah. Okay. So what I'm gathering is, is like really if I'm looking into this book, it's not necessarily like startups for beginners. This is a lot more focused on growth. You've got, you're off to a start. You're not sinking, but you're not like rising to the top really fast. This is, you've kind of figured out one year, one or two, and now let's figure out growth, correct? Yes. Yeah, so I would, I would caveat that a little bit that okay. you cannot, and you should not start a business without thinking of the mechanism by which that business is going to grow. Sure. And let me maybe tell you a little bit how we look at growth and how we solve that problem, because I think that will help you with all the good questions you're asking. They are, if you look at a mecha mechanical watch, 
there are many gears that are moving. There's one gear that oscillates called the balance wheel, and that particular gear moves 28,800 times per hour. And in fact, if you calculate and you multiply all the moving pieces in a mechanical watch by their frequency over two years, you will calculate that it moves a billion times. So you're carrying a timepiece on your wrist over let's say 10 years during that decade, it has moved 5 billion times and you never had to lubricate and it works flawlessly. And we looked at that and we say, why is this working so well? And there are two reasons. One is the design of the mechanical system itself. But the second critical reason is what we call the jewel bearings. They are the little sapphire made stones and those jewel bearings are critical to create and maintain a perfect alignment between the two plates of the mechanical watch and all the gears. And prior to that, the, the watches would actually slow down and eventually stop ticking. So when I look and when I talk about aligning a business with this target market, the question is, is there an equivalent of jewel bearings that would warranty a perfect alignment between the company and its target market? And the big surprise to me is that there are four jewel bearings between a business and its target market. And those jewel bearings are absolutely universal. So I can take La Coupole, which is a famous cafe in Paris, or I can take Tesla or company. Those four jewel bearings, those four axes of alignment are the same. I'm gonna tell you quickly what they are. The first one is that the pain of the customer and the claim that the company is making those two things have to be aligned. So imagine Don, you're going to a pharmacy, you have a headache and you're going in a pharmacy and the pharmacist gives you a stomachache pill. Well, obviously your pain and the claim, which is to solve stomachache issues, are not aligned, you will never buy the pill. So that's the first axis. The second one is that the expression of the claim, the way the claim is expressed, has to be aligned with the way it's understood. So the message, which is that expression of the claim and the perception, which is the understanding have to be aligned. So imagine you go to this pharmacy and the pharmacist only speak Japanese and let's assume you don't speak Japanese and he describes the perfect pill for you. It costs 99 cents. Your headache will be gone in five minutes. But because he speaks Japanese and you don't, you don't understand what the guy is talking about, you will never get the pill. So that illustrates the second axis of alignment. The third one is the way the product is sold and the way people, customers want to acquire that product, those two things have to be aligned. So imagine you're in the pharmacy and the person says, well, you know, you have to drive, you know, 40 miles to get the pill. You're like, well, I'm in the pharmacy. Why can't I get the pill there? So that's the fourth axis of alignment, the third axis of alignment. And then the last one, which is my favorite one called I stole it out of the Apple playbook. You know, working for Steve Jobs, I realized that there is only one single business on this planet. And that business is the manufacturing and the delivery of delight. And when you buy a product mm. or a service, just before consuming that product or service, you have a certain delight expectation in your head. And that expectation has to be met. There cannot be an impedance mismatch between what you expect and what's delivered. So the expected delight and the experience as you consume the product have to be aligned. So the four axis of alignment is our, the pain that the customer has and the claim the company is making have to be aligned. The message and the perception have to be aligned. The purchase and sale mechanisms have to be aligned. 
and then the expected delight and the delivery have to be aligned. Mm. And if you align any business along those four universal axes, then you will create the maximum, you will generate the maximum possible growth rate for that business. And that's mm. it. Okay, so I'm, I'm not asking you to trash any um, particular business, but is there like a sector that you can see from a mile away that they're not in alignment? And, 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 maybe, and maybe it's a sector like, again, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm like, let's not, you know, throw anybody under the bus, but, you know, just individual sectors that like, you know, man, they are completely out of alignment and this is going to hurt them in the long run. Well, I mean, they are trans, yes. I mean, so I can give you an example, which is the retail sector. You know, if you look at, if you go to Messi's website right now, you will see that they describe on their website, quote unquote, you know, our customers can shop the way they live. And I always wondered, seriously, so imagine a life where you have to drive, you have to park your car, you have to walk to the store, find the product, check that it's on sale, locate a salesperson on a cash register, stand in line, pay, walk back to your car and drive back home. I'm wondering if there is anyone who really wants to live that kind of a life. So what happens is now because of e-commerce and, and same-day delivery and free shipping, all those trends are really putting those retail and department store in, you know, in, 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 in facing really critical challenges. In fact, Messi's revenue has been flat at $25 billion for the past 12 years. And just a couple of days ago, last week, they announced that they're going to close 125 stores, um, and they're yeah. gonna, which is about a fifth of their retail presence, and they're going to cut 2,000 jobs. Yeah, so I saw they're moving example. to like, yeah, smaller stores, and yeah, you're, yeah, they're reeling. This is an example of the misalignment along the third axis, which is the purchase versus sale in, in, our, in our model. And clearly, the trend is saying that if you're a retail store, you need to reinvent the whole experience, the whole customer shopping experience to be able to compete against, you know, buying from your, from your bedroom in pyjama, right. just clicking on your mouse. I like that. But I can also see why the fourth is your favorite, as is mine, is that, you know, if you can turn shopping into an experience, and if it's a joyous, like, like I know it's a little bit of an apples and oranges, but like my son just, my, <laughs> we went to Disney World a long time ago. And so we went to Disneyland, not uh, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. And my son was just enamored with some of the things he saw. And, you know, I'm not going to say the other, we'd gone to a theme park earlier that year. And he's like, well, this is way different. You're right. Because the experience was way different. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, that joy of the purchase is everything. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I agree. I think the retail sector needs to make an experience, not a transaction. That's right. Um, it has to redefine itself. It's not, about, it's not about a transaction. It's about a new way of shopping that online cannot compete against. It has to be different. Right, right. Yeah, you, but man, that, that could in time be an advantage. You know, we, 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 you know, yeah, like if you make it such an enjoyable experience, then people are like, I can't do this from my house and that could flip yeah. on itself. I mean, the Apple store is a good example of that. You go there sure. and you have the Genius Bar and they will help you. They will spend whatever time is necessary. They will, they will make sure you walk away from it with a good experience and, and happy and satisfied. And you can do that online. It's very hard. So these these four alignments, uh, like, like we've talked about social impact all the way through technology, does it work for any business? 
Yeah, so I again, I can take a cafe, you have exactly the same four alignments. I can take Tesla, it's exactly the same thing. I can take any of your startup. They have to look at the world across those four dimensions and say, are we aligned? And if they are not, they will not maximize their growth rate down the road. Okay. So you, again, have seen a lot of things come and go. You've worked for iconic people. One thing I, I've heard so many times, especially when, when VCs are looking at, at a company, invest in, I always hear the team, the team, the team. That if you don't have a good team around you, then they're not interested. Where do you, and this could be where they're misaligned, but what are some of the most critical mistakes you see in building those teams? Yeah, it's a very good question. So I... I before I answer, I want to preface with another important point. When I say there's four universal alignments, it's absolutely true. There's no other alignment between a company and its target market. Now, there is a fifth alignment, which is absolutely critical. And in fact, the last chapter of the book is focused on that, which is the internal alignment. If you don't have a team that is internally aligned, then the execution of the four axis of alignment, the four external axis of alignment will not happen and the growth won't happen. So the team is really critical and and without a good team and without good internal alignment, then again, the whole business is not gonna take off, it's just not gonna work. Now, to answer your question about team and what's important, I, you know, if you're doing, as a venture capitalist looking at seed and early stage deals, the most important factor by far was the quality of the team and a good team is a team that is you know, driven that is had as different people that are complementing each other well. So you may have a very strong technical person, you know, who is working with a strong, you know, sales and marketing person. And it's a team that will be able to figure it out because whatever they believe is not going to be what's going to happen. So whatever plan they propose, whatever idea, whatever value prop, whatever pricing they think, there is a very, very high probability that what will happen and what will be successful will be quite different. And in fact, startups tend to pivot maybe two or three times sometimes before finding their way and finding their and, and being successful. So yeah. the ability for the team to recognize that they need to change, they need to change quickly and not stay in love with their original idea is really critical <laughs> to success. And I, I met, it's funny, I met with the CEO this afternoon and he has a really interesting idea and he was asking me whether he should do it or not. And I said, you should not do it if you don't find one or two co-founder who will really bring different perspective because he's a very strong technologist and he needs to have other people bringing those views, you know, that will help him build a business. And um, the best teams are the teams that have people that complement each other, that they bring different perspective and different lenses to the problem yeah well i'm even like kind of thinking about the wisdom of your your four quadrants here on even like they follow how you build the team you mm -hmm. know you start off with pain like here's the here's our you know big goal here's what our company is going to stand for pain mm -hmm. perception that's how you recruit Mm -hmm. like, like, like here's, you know, here's our messaging. Here's our compelling story. Here's what we're going to stand for. If you work for here, you're going to stand for this. Okay. That's right. And then That's the purchases hiring. Mm -hmm. And then if things go well, <laughs> you've got delight. Right. I'm just I'm like, wow, these that yeah. Even in the hiring process, pain, perception, purchase, delight. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah.
Yeah. Uh, and again, I, I would encourage you to, you know, you talk to a lot of CEOs and entrepreneurs. I would encourage you to really ask them those four axes and say, well, tell me what is the pain you address and what claim are you making against that pain? And, you know, what is the message and how is that message understood and who are you messaging to? And, and again, it's a very new perspective on the business, which is very different from the traditional way of looking at, you know, looking at businesses and, and growing businesses. Yeah. Well, I, so I, obviously, you know, my background is in education and mm-hmm. one of my favorite I probably said it on this podcast so many times. My listeners might be rolling their eyes, but one of my favorite quotes about education is Seth Godin, that uh, education can be boiled down to two things, solving interesting problems and the leadership to get it done. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, solving interesting problems, looking for pain points. Yeah. Uh, perception, you know, like what is the compelling story? Uh, what interesting problem are you, and, and like storytelling is everything. You know, you, you, as, you're, as you're trying to take on this huge, you know, goal, letting people know along the way is the marketing of it. Uh, Mm -hmm. The sale is really the leadership to get it done. And the delight is just the outcome. Uh, I, yeah, I like that because I I like, ultimately I'm, I'm, I'm an educator still and, and I'm always looking for students to look what inspires them or absolutely just pisses them off. Mm -hmm. You know what, like, I, I am mortified by the amount of people that just take to Twitter and say that the government should fix our problems. I'm like, are you kidding, man? Like right. government? Like, no, because when our students know that they can find the pain points, but they could go on this journey that uh, they have the power to build teams and to, to do things. I, I, I think that's Again, looking at the looking at the alignment here, I, I, I want more students to know that that journey. And in some ways, I mean, uh, one of my mentors, even though I never met him and he died a long time ago, Joseph Campbell. I mean, in a lot of ways, this is a hero's journey. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Um, wow. So um, sincerely, uh, have appreciated this conversation. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm. I'm. I'm fascinated. This is. Uh, some of the things that you've seen and some of the trends that you've noticed uh, have been invaluable. And I, I would, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, I'd recommend a, um, and you can talk about where you find the book. I'm sure it's on Amazon and everything else, but um, as you're in your own personal growth journey, whether you're the CEO or whether you're the employee that wants to send something up the food chain, cause you're onto something. Uh, these insights are so, so valuable. Um, with people understanding how to build this culture and how to get things aligned. Yep. It's all about alignment. That's very true. Um, yeah, sorry. I, mm. so any last thoughts on, on, you know, you know what, I'm going to edit that out. I, boy, I just, I'm sorry. I'm lost in my own thoughts. I'm lost in my own thoughts about what this means to the classroom as well. My well, teacher, I, I, I my think, teacher days aren't over yet. I think that the, the, the takeaway to me is that if you are an entrepreneur, if you have an idea, if you want to make, if you want to change the world and make the planet spin the other way, then before you do anything, before writing a line of code, you should look at the business, define the target market you want to go after and look at each of those eight dots, there's two dots to align per axis. Look at each of those four axes and ask yourself, how well are we aligned? And I think that will force you to start to think 
very, very early in the process about how will that business grow. Mm. And I think it's it's a very interesting exercise. It's not always easy, but I think is is if you don't do that exercise, then you may be lucky and build a business that will be significant and consequential and big. Um, but I think if you don't, you're going to miss out some opportunities to build real businesses that are growing and that will reward investors to the level that everybody is looking for. Yeah. Love that. Well, um, obviously the book, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, where, where should they find more about you? Yeah, the book is, is called Aligning the Dots and it's at aligningthedots.com. Um, they can find it on Amazon. It's be in Barnes and Nobles on Apple. It will actually be published on February 26 in over two weeks and, um, and they can find it anywhere on those channels. And then your own personal sites? Yeah, my personal site is Philippe Buissou, P-H-I-L-I-P-P-E and B as in boy, O-U-I-S-S-O-U.com. So philippebuissou.com. Well, if they go to aligningthedots.com, which may be easier than they'll land on my <laughs> Well, no matter what, we'll have both links in the show description because you're right. Most people might not know the French uh, way to spell that. So we'll right. definitely, definitely have yeah, those. Aligningthedots.com. That's probably the easiest. That is. All right. Well, Philippe, again, I, I, I really appreciate um, your humility, uh, your your work for years, and this is no, no pun intended, and finding and aligning the dots. It, it's like under recogn- you know, recognizing those patterns and knowing some of those pain points. You know, I, I, I remember somebody's, you know, we were talking about hiring somebody. He says, well, you're not hiring me for what I do now. You're hiring me for the lessons I've learned over the last right. 30 years. That's right. And just that you've, some of the things that you've, the iconic people you've worked for and worked with and then saw people come across your desk and in, in, in your role and venture, you know, getting these things down into a book and, and for people to, to grow and learn from it is, is a, is a really great, is a really great thing. So I sincerely appreciate you putting this book out into the world and uh, allowing people to uh, grow and, and learn with you. Yes. Thank you so much, Don. I really appreciate your time. I appreciate uh, being on your show and enjoyed it. And, uh, Wish you the best to you and uh, and everybody who's listening.